Alright, so I've got my boy Cody with me here today. What's up? And we are at a coffee shop, so if you hear any extraneous noise, um, that is probably why. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we're on the vignette for chapter six. Um, is where we're going to start out with. Um, and I'm just going to read it real quick and we'll see if we do have anything to say about it. Um, it is a Nick Adams vignette. One of. Is it the only one? Or. It, it, there's not many Nick Adams vignettes for sure. Um, I don't remember for sure if it's the only one, but I know most of them are not. It's the only one I remember. Or not of Nick. Um, but, yeah. You can hear the airplane going overhead, probably. Um, chapter 6. Nick sat against the wall of the church where they had dragged him to be clear of machine gun fire in the street. Both legs stuck out awkwardly. He had been hit in the spine. His face was sweaty and dirty. The sun shone on his face. The day was very hot. Rinaldi, big-backed, his equipment sprawling, lay face downward against the wall. Nick looked straight ahead brilliantly. The pink wall of the house opposite had fallen out from the roof, and an iron bedstead hung twisted toward the street. Two Austrian lay dead in the rubble in the shade of the house. Up the street were other dead. Things were getting forward in the town. It was going well. Stretcher bearers would be along any time now. Nick turned his head carefully and looked at Rinaldi. Cinta, Rinaldi, Cinta. You and me, we've made a separate peace. Rinaldi lay still in the sun, breathing with difficulty. Not patriots. Nick turned his head carefully away, smiling sweatily. Rinaldi was a disappointing audience. <laughs> so Rinaldi's like dead. Dead, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's right. All right, that's why I took it. It's, this is like that. Uh, you get a lot of people who like, not just in the military, but who are in combat. Um, I do have, tend to have this darker sense of humor because you almost have to have it to get by. Um, and that's what I see in this. Um, I think it's... What does he mean when he says, uh, you and me, we've made a separate piece? Um, I guess, off the top of my head, Rinaldi's dead, so he's resting in peace. Mm. And then... Uh, I guess Nick has made his own sort of piece for like little cubby. He's either just waiting death or um, it says stretcher bears would be along any time now. He's made his piece that um, Rinaldi's dead, maybe. Um, I don't know. I'm wondering if that's what uh, his name, John Knowles, um, got the title from for his book, A Separate Piece, which is a good book, by the way. I haven't read it. I need to give it a try. Um, it's not very long either. I have a copy. Yeah. I've actually got a couple of copies for some reason. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, Cinta. Rinaldi, Cinta, is just saying, listen. Um, I have a little footnote here. That's uh, Italian for listen. Um, 
yeah. I think that's all I got for the for the vignette. Not patriots. Not patriots. <clears throat> that's in quotes too. It's like almost like it could be it could be like scoffing at it. Not patriots. Not patriots my ass. Like mm. <laughs> um a very short story. Um, if you have not already read this, we are going to be probably stopping in the middle of this. Um, it's so short we might read it all the way through and then come back. Um, we'll, I'll just see if anything strikes me as I read. Um, but if you have not read this, um, go read it. You can find it for free online, and it's like a page long. So, <laughs> no excuses. Um... Now, this story was first published as a prose poem in, in our time, and the nurse's name was different than it is in this. Uh, it's Luz in this. It was Ag, and the hospital was in Milan, is what my footnote says. Um, so, originally, this was much more autobiographical, um, like even down to the, to the names. Because the nurse that he had fallen in love with, um, during World War One, when he was in the hospital, his name was Agnes. So Ag Agnes, it's it's that same person. Um, but when it came time for this collection, a much broader um, publication than his like. I think the in our time vignettes only was like it was like a print run of like fifty or hundred copies. It was very very small. Um, in Paris, I believe. So, it wasn't like a wide, like it wasn't like a full publisher, full publishing thing. Um, so that's that's interesting to note before we get started. Um, a very short story. And Cody, stop me if you find if you pick anything out as a at the end of a paragraph or something. Okay. Um, one hot evening in Padua, they carried him to the roof, and he could look out over the top of the town. There were chimney swifts in the sky. After a while, it got dark, and the searchlights came out. The others went down and took the bottles with them. He and Luz could hear them below on the balcony. Luz sat on the bed. She was cool and fresh in the hot night. Luz stayed on night duty for three months. They were glad to let her. When they operated on him, she prepared him for the operating table, and they had a joke about friend or enema. He went under the anesthetic holding tight on to himself so he would not blab about anything during the silly talky time. After he got on crutches, he used to take the temperatures so Luz would not have to get up from the bed. There were only a few patients, and they all knew about it. They all liked Luz. As she walked back along the halls, he thought of Luz in his bed. Before he went back to the front, they went into the Duomo and prayed. It was dim and quiet, and there were other people praying. They wanted to get married, but there was not enough time for the bands, and neither of them had birth certificates. They felt as though they were married, but they wanted everyone to know about it, and to make it so they could not lose it. Luz wrote him many letters that he never got until after the armistice. Fifteen came in a bunch to the front, and he sorted them by the dates and read them all straight through. They were all about the hospital and how much she loved him, and how it was impossible to get along without him, and how terrible it was missing him at night. After the armistice, they agreed he should go home to get a job so they might, get, uh, so they might be married. Luz would not come home until he had a good job and could come to New York to meet her. It was understood he would not drink, and he did not want to see his friends or anyone in the States, only to get a job and be married. 
On the train from Padua to Milan, they quarreled about her not being willing to come home at once. When they had to say goodbye, in the station at Milan, they kissed goodbye, but were not finished with the quarrel. He felt sick about saying goodbye like that. He went to America on a boat from Genoa. Luz went back to Pordenon to open a hospital. It was lonely and rainy there, and there was a battalion of Arditi quartered in the town. Living in the muddy, rainy town in the winter, the major of the battalion made love to Luz, and she had never known Italians before, and finally wrote to the States that theirs had been only a boy and girl affair. She was sorry, and she knew she would probably not be, he would probably not be able to understand, but might someday forgive her and be grateful to her, and she expected, absolutely unexpectedly, to be married in the spring. She loved him as always, but she realized now it was only a boy and girl love. She hoped he would have a great career and believed in him absolutely. She knew it was for the best. The Major did not marry her in the spring or any other time. Luz never got an answer to the letter to Chicago about it. A short time after he contracted gonorrhea from a sales girl in a loop department store while riding in a taxi cab through Lincoln Park. Well, there you go. <laughs> what a rebound, man. Eh? Um, so, let's see. Arditi is, if that is at all how you pronounce it, no promises, um, literally means the daring ones in Italian, like the, like the shock troops. Um, and there's just a note, like Hemingway received a letter from Agnes, like the one the narrator receives from Luz. Um, what is that to make of the story? I mean, I think... Well, it was originally a vignette. Yeah. So it's not really a story in the traditional sense, but a lot of a lot of these are not stories in the traditional sense. They don't have strict beginnings and strict endings. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely feels like a don't want to say practice, but like an exercise. Uh, almost. Because it, it was first published as what's called like a prose poem. Did he change it up a lot from, from I, that? I don't know. Or? I would like to find a copy of that somewhere yeah um and and kind of compare i think that could be fun um but i I don't know um is there is there anything to be said about like passion in a difficult time and when you're outside of that you know yeah in the moment they they maybe they both believed it but and you kind of get the sense that he doesn't like say it, but you kind of get the sense that it's his like first real. Mm. It's the narrator's first real experience with love. He's a little, he's a little naive, and then, yeah. and then she had never known Italians before. So, I mean, there was no comparison up to that point. And once, once she had something to compare it to, it was like... Uh, we were just kids. Yeah, we were just kids. You know, the passion of this, this Italian man. Um, so I think it comes back to... There's a lot in this collection about contrast. Um, sometimes it's death and life. Sometimes it's an Italian and an American. And how good they are at doing the dirty should give it a shot so maybe I will (laughs) um 
Yeah, I think uh, mostly what this this story does is there's an essay in the back of this collection. Um, I've got it bookmarked, or I would never find it. It's called a very short story as therapy, and um, it's by Scott Donaldson, who um, one of our one of our professors who shall not be named in um, college. I I had her. Cody did not. Um, says Scott Donaldson is an awful gossip. <laughs> so take that for what that's worth. But um, it's just kind of telling. Uh, I think it's a relatively common thing to like kind of view this little prose poem, this vignette, as just Hemingway needed to write it to get over what happened to him. He probably wrote it not too long after the letter, as kind of like. Hemingway was big on revenge, um, so it kind of like, I think it did two things. I think it kind of called her out, and like, I don't know if the real Agnes had had a happy ending with with her her Italian or not. But I think I mean it's kind of like a kind of like a little little slap. It's like he's basically like a basically almost like calling her a bitch <laughs> in the in this story without saying that's what, that's what I think I mean he definitely doesn't paint her in a good light given, given context <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that I think it's just I mean um so I think it's something something like that I don't think there's too deep of meaning to, to glean from it it's just a really it's a really Hemingway Hemingway and stylistic piece like he writes how he writes um, and it kind of helped him get over over it it's still it's, it's good good to read and that like, For very sure. constrained he tells he tells a, a lot of story in a just over a page I feel like there is an ambivalence to it it's a, it does say she loved him as always but she realized now it was only a boy and girl love. I just don't know if it's kind of what you were saying earlier, like the contrast, like here. Well, Hemingway writes in a pretty removed style. Yeah. To me, it felt just chalked up as as passionate young fling maybe they meant what they what they said in the moment but you just move past it I've said things to girls <laughs> later on I was like that was the dumbest yeah I mean I, I don't know I feel like there's a little like, bit like of that you, going like on like you fully you fully yeah I get that you know like you, you say you say something you fully mean it in the, in moment, the moment and then either then you sober up, whether that's like an actual, yeah, literal sobering up, or whether it's just like you're out of the moment. Yeah. Um, could be either one. But yeah, no, I think there's definitely some of that in there as well. Um, <laughs> the, the the random like ending to it like a short time after he contracted gonorrhea from a sales girl in a loop department store while riding in a taxi cab I guess that's he's innocent at the beginning of the story and he's no longer that innocent boy yeah 
Okay. Oh, I, I see that for sure. So I think I think that's I guess I guess that's the only thing I can the only reason I could see that being put in there is like um, this for for better or worse this um, relationship he had has for lack of a better phrase made a man out of him you know it's he's and it's, it's not a good thing necessarily I don't, I, yeah I don't know if it's matured him but it's made him older less less uh, less naive. From what we get earlier in this story, earlier with like a paragraph but above, because <laughs> it's so short, yeah. is uh, the his idea, if not love of affection, are completely different in that last paragraph as it is. Oh yeah, earlier for sure. And I mean, I don't even know if you could consider affection the right word, but no, it seems more. Um more more of a business transaction not literally but it's just like it's something he did mm. <laughs> just because he could yeah but maybe we're i mean we're probably looking at looking at it too deeply I, mean, I, I think that's e- that's e- easy to do with him easy huh? to do with him awake i think because there's not like i don't think he'd I think I said this in in the last one, in the last episode on on the Babbler that I did. Like, I mean, I, I don't think Hemingway Hemingway was writing to like. He wanted to write true sentences. He wanted to write, not like factual nonfiction stories, but he wanted to write what he considered a true sentence, whatever exactly that entailed. Um, and he wanted to write in this specific style. He he did like all the quips say, he, um, like the little short blips, whatever you would call them, like that you hear all the time. It's uh, like he did more to change the style of American prose than any other person. Mm. Um, and I think that's what he succeeded in doing. But I don't think he was overly concerned about. Like, he had his. Yeah, he had like a bunch of stuff buried under the surface of his work, um, just because of his iceberg theory. Because he would, he would just tell you what was on the surface and let you figure out the rest. But it wasn't like, so it wasn't necessarily always some like big philosophical like idea that he had. Sometimes it was just he had a fling with a girl and he's trying to get over it because he's he's young when he's writing these. Um, yeah, the, the original uh, the original Inner Time was published in like 1923, I think. So when this this was one of his earliest so works. when this huh? was like first, this whole book or yeah, yeah, this this whole thing was published in 1925, I think, like around the same time as Gatsby. Um, but the um, original vignettes, the original like his collection of vignettes that he put out, the prose poems in our time, he um, he was probably only 22, 23 when he wrote those at, at most. So he was yeah. still he was still finding his voice, um, and just working on his his stylings. A lot of a lot of the vignettes are uh, like either from his journalism. He has kind of changed them to make them more artistic and fit his style, um, or from stories he heard from other people. So he's sort of kind of making art out of life in his own Hemingway in his own 
Cut that out of the area. Oh, I'm no, not I'm cutting kidding. it out, man. They know I'm cheesy. <clears throat> I, I definitely... I know it's simple, but I definitely think there's something to be said here about his idea of love and romance. I mean, he has a very romantic idea. I mean, he will do anything for this girl. And then... And there's a sadness to him growing up and realizing, you know, probably... No, obviously, we haven't gone through anything specifically like this, but... Yeah. My idea of love has changed. It's, and then as I've grown older, like, it's it's not as romantic as I thought when I was younger, you know? And, that, and there's a sadness to that, I think. It's a lot more work, and it's a lot more grit yeah. than you think of when you're, when you're a kid. And, I mean, the, I think Hemingway was born in 1899. The war ended in 1918. He's only 18, 19 years old. Um, that's all I've got for this one. Yeah. So um, I think we're going to cut it, and then we're going to immediately do the next episode. You're going to have to wait a few days on it um, for Chapter 7 and Soldier's Home. Um, but uh, until then, keep on reading. Thank you.